Alright, well, somebody said in the last episode in the comments, which means that really nobody did, that I need to do more ASMR. So, here's some garlic bread ASMR. Oh, maybe the burnt side. Mmm. Choking ASMR. What if there was, like, choking? <laughs> That'd be horrible. I would not, this is loud. I would not recommend doing that. I don't recommend doing that. But if somebody was to like start a trend of like choking themselves and then, uh, you know. Never mind. That's encouraging things that people shouldn't be doing. So never mind. Shut up. One of the only things I've had today. <laughs> Robert Irwin just got canceled and he did nothing wrong. People started laying in. To, to Robert Irwin, Steve Irwin's son, the Crikey, Animal Planet, Australian animal guy. His costume for Halloween, Robert Irwin, was misinterpreted by a lot of people. They're like, how dare you dress as Jeffrey Dahmer for Halloween? How dare you? And Robert Irwin goes, dude, I'm dressed as Dwight Schrute from The Office. And so all these mad people just had to go, uh, well, carry on. <laughs> So dumb, so stupid, so unintelligible. I love to see cancel culture mess up, though. That's fun. To see that common L. They, they don't ever consider it to be an L. They're going to justify this one. They're going to find some other reason. Well, it, it looked a, a bit too much, like, whatever. Well, I don't know who Dwight Schrute is, so it has to be Jeffrey Dahmer. They would not be saying that if Dahmer had not just released. They're only saying that because it's recent. Am I not even wearing a shirt? I'm just wearing my Under Armour shirt. This is essentially my bra. But that's okay. I'm just going to wear this. And it looks, it looks fun. But it's my undershirt. That's funny I didn't put on a shirt for my podcast. Vutenever. Man, cancel culture. Uh, I've what, what else can I say about them? I will be fighting them for, the, for my career. For the duration and for my career. Because they tried to cancel me this year. And it's like something small will happen and they will go to such extreme to let you know what a dirtbag you are. And they'll go way past the point that you ever, whatever, whatever. It's just, I could go on and on about them. But I can't, not right now, not this time. You don't mess with the Irwins though, that's a no-no. The dude didn't do anything wrong, he's just having fun. He just lost his dad, not just, a long time ago. But he lost his dad, and the dude's just trying to do the best that he can with the information and skill set that he has. I hope cancel culture has more of these wake-up calls for themselves. Of like, oh, maybe maybe we bring the heat a little bit too strong for little littler reason than we thought. <laughs> I have returned to some films that I grew up with. There's four of them. These are movies that were on constant repeat in my household. I couldn't even list the number of times that I've seen these movies. Or number them, or whatever. <laughs> Something. I'm gonna start with Get Smart. Steve Carell starred in this uh, Mel Brooks-inspired, you know, from the TV show, the 60s. TV show Get Smart... I think it was five seasons, but they did a great job. The director understood the humor. So many of the comedy bits still really hold up. And some others are outdated, but... In Hath Awakened. In, in The Rock, is okay. Uh, Alan Arkin, love in that movie. Terry Crews and David Koechner are also hysterical. And... I think that's about it.
director of Tommy Boy made that movie 13 years after Tommy Boy. So I'm watching it just to familiarize myself with... So I'm watching that to familiarize myself with what other work uh, Peter Siegel has done other than Tommy Boy. So get smart enough. <laughs> Can you remember the part where I get into my hand? Thank you. Sanchez? I don't think that's Sanchez. I returned to Castaway, and I have not watched a Tom Hanks movie in a little while. <laughs> uh, but I grew up with Castaway, so I I didn't want to return to a drama that... No. I didn't want to return to just comedies that I grew up with. I wanted to ter- oh, 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 oh. return to some dramas like uh, Castaway. Castaway, directed by Robert Zemeckis, who also did The Fast and the Furious. No! No! Robert Zemeckis did Back to the Future. (laughs) A little different. That's funny. Anyways. And Forrest Gump. And Polar Express. So, Tom Hanks-based stuff. It's so cool that they had to... I just lose my train of thought right in the middle of my sentence. (laughs) <laughs> that they had to pause production for six months. I think just six months, maybe a year, <laughs> for Tom Hanks to lose the weight. He lost like 55, 56, 57 pounds. And gosh, dang. No, he did He did a really good job. The second half of Castaway is where they lose me a little bit. Once he loses the weight, you know, I'm like, I'm like, give me fat Tom Hanks, I relate to him more. No, that's not true. It's just more interesting seeing him, what he's going through, and that struggle of learning the island. There's also, like, he loses his love in the end, and he doesn't really get to spend his life with the woman he loved. So just for that, I can relate to it so much that I don't like it. So I'm like, nah. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you like talking about some Hanks? The next movie is The Fugitive. Another great action adventure in a whole different way. It's not like a castaway stranded island. It's like a wrongful accusation where Harrison Ford has to prove his innocence. I love that movie. I love it for the acting. Tommy Lee Jones, watching him act this part, first time in over a decade that I've returned to this movie, I noted... Several things that I'm going to take for inspiration for when I have to do the same thing in a movie of mine that I'm starring in. When he gets mad and it's just explosive. It's it's the gravel in his voice that he reaches, that he gets, that he does. What do you say? What's the right one? I don't want that to deter my sentence. The gravel in his voice that he blank. You get it. It is really intense, period. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I just feel so loose. Nah. Backspace, semicolon, I'm going to take it as inspiration for when I have to imitate the same thing. Not that it would be a straight imitation, just... I'm... I'm... Backspace, the whole thing. Both films, Castaway and The Fugitive, coincidentally have to do with two men who made two choices after getting a call to go to work. They decided to go to work. Tom Hanks has to get on a plane for work, and Harrison Ford has to go to the the ER. (coughs) The the ER. 
emergency room. After that decision to leave their wife and go to work, they lose their lives and their wives. What else rhymes something nice? But isn't that weird? I think I think it is. <laughs> but what is that? What's that message? It is. It was their obligation to go to work. So it's not like they could just necessarily call out and not go. Because both of them were on call, and I think it's a pager. They, they get a pager, a page, on their pager. And it's just weird that I watch these movies back to back and they have to deal with the same things. And I was like, hmm, divine intervention? Am I writing a script that has to do with this too? Am I going to face an issue where I can do with this thing? <coughs> Anyways, really good movie. Love The Fugitive. It's very unique. On to the next one, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is the last one that I'll mention. And the last one that I watched, I think I just had a stroke. Uh, Most recently, Robin Hood, 1991, Kevin Costner, Morgan Freeman, the guy from Harry Potter, and Die Hard. Contemplate 294. Something like that. Ron, no. It's that one guy, he died, He, he passed away. What can I say? Good, decent. Kevin Costner does not even try to do a British accent. He's like, Robin of Roxley. So, you want to... Dude, I know, right? Oh, man, surfing and bro and stuff. (laughs) He just sounds very Midwestern throughout his quote-unquote performance. He's very dry. He's very dull. He just says his lines like this. I'm going to say it like this no matter what. I'm sure every take is the same. (laughs) I'm sure he didn't switch it up. At all. But I watched that for some reason. I felt like it. Earlier this year, I, I think I'm in a very healing moment. I, I returned to these movies. This is the first time I've ever done it, but it, it's literally been over a decade since I've seen any of these movies. So Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Transformers. I'm getting to Lord, Lord of the Rings soon. Oh, some of the Star Wars, the originals. But I haven't watched those in forever since way before film school because film school, I was busy discovering new movies. So why would I have gone back to any old ones? I've seen those a million times each. But those are the four that I'm going to mention. I, for the last three years, I've been saving my horror movies. Uh, sorry, one last thing about Robin uh, Robin Hood. The, the violence is gruesome. Sorry, nope. Pop. The violence is graphic in Robin Hood and very scarring. It's actually like they're every bit of violence that they show close up with like Robin's bow and arrow accuracy, I remembered from however long ago. It stuck with me. It's not bloody. It's not gruesome, but it's graphic. It shows you exactly. It's like, oh, oh, that hurt so bad, <laughs> you know? And I respected that. I don't see that very often. A lot of times I see violence kept off screen or just made super bloody and gory. And you get numb to that after a while. But Robin Hood, you're like, ooh, ow, you feel the hits. So I love that part of it. Anyways, I save horror movies for October. I've been doing that for the last three years now. I don't watch any horror movies with slight exception. If a really good one comes out, more often than not, I'm saving it for October and just binging a bunch of horror movies as I make my horror movie. So for Carnal, my preparation that I did for that was I watched Dahmer twice. I actually did watch Dahmer twice. Um, I watched it the second time. I also reviewed it. There's like a 23-minute review that I did a couple months ago when it came out. So it was it, it was more for that. But I also watched Dahmer twice, and it's hard not to like... Not be influenced, I don't mean be influenced by his behavior, but 
to take inspiration. I needed to watch his. Per- I needed to watch Evan Peters pull that off. You'll see why, and you'll understand why if you have seen Carnal. I watched all the Dr. Lecter, Hannibal Lecter series. I even talked about it in a recent podcast episode. But all five movies and then all three seasons of the show. And I started reading some of the books. So I wanted to kind of get into Hannibal Lecter's (laughs) mind a little bit too. I also, okay, I watched movies like Stepfather. Uh, You know, if you've seen Lost, you know who John Locke is. That actor, Terry, Terry something or other, O'Quinn, I think, I can, I think it's Terry O'Quinn. In the 80s, he made two movies, he, he starred in two movies called The Stepfather, part one and part two, in which he plays something very similar to the character that I played in my movie. Those were a lot of fun to watch and discover. <laughs> I came up with, um, came up, I mean, I, I remember two instances in which two people, two different people have been very rude to me, <laughs> and and it's just been with their body language. They weren't outright rude, but what they did with their actions and their body language was rude, so. <laughs> okay, so I was um, kind of dating somebody during the pandemic, and I was at her house. She had a mom and a stepdad. And the stepdad, I hadn't seen him in like a month, and I was almost at a million followers on TikTok. He came into the living room, and I looked at him, was kind of at a loss for words, and so I just went, um, yeah, hey, what's up, dude? I'm I'm actually almost at a million followers on uh, TikTok. At least I started uh, that sentence, and he had already known. It wasn't like I was starting from scratch there. He He knew. But while I was talking to him, I started that sentence, and he goes like this. And just, like, kept eye contact with me and just walked out of the room. (laughs) I don't know. I think we were both nervous and just, like, socially awkward. Like, whenever I'm in those situations, my mind is just kind of like a roulette wheel just, like, of topics to pull out. And it just landed on, oh, my TikTok is almost at a million followers. Aren't you happy for me? And he was just like, oh, yeah, whoa, whoa. I've I've just never had somebody do that to me while I'm talking to them. Another time, I had just gotten done with my shift in a kitchen, and I was sitting at the bar, ordered a drink, probably a uh, meal too, and a co-worker who was not... Maybe she didn't work there anymore. But regardless, she wasn't on duty. She came in with, like, her backpack and some headphones, and she was just going to do some homework, whatever. She was going to school at the same time. So I was 24 at the time. She was 22. She walks up behind me and she taps me on the shoulder. I turn around and it's Sydney. I go, hey, what's up? I get off my seat. I give her a hug. And then I just grab my drink and I transferred it to where she's sitting. Kind of at the height of the bar. It's a high table. Your feet dangle, you know. And I just transferred my stuff over to the over to her table. Like, I didn't really ask. I might have just said, hey, mind if I join? You know, and that's not really asking. <laughs> but I didn't know that she probably just wanted her alone time and she made that clear a little bit later on i had my drink but i'm not gonna eat in front of her so i didn't think i was being that annoying and i wasn't really talking but maybe that's what it was maybe she would have preferred more talking so i struck up a conversation similar to the story i just told struck up a conversation she didn't have her headphones out when she came in to the store i said it like she did but she didn't she actually pulled them out unraveled them as I'm talking to her and just started putting them in. (laughs) As I'm talking to her, she did the New York subway thing to me. 
<laughs> Nothing. Whatever. We're just like in a restaurant and we're co-workers and we know each other and you just sat down. We just sat down. And she's like, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm going to do some drawing. And then she like got into the zone and I just, oh, oh, all right. And I, <laughs> I walked, I disposed of my stuff, tossed my drink probably, or tossed it back. <laughs> More like it. Washed my hands, clocked out, took off my whatever. I go to leave. I say goodbye to the manager. And I see Sydney talking to somebody else. Standing. She's like, they're both standing by the table. And they're just talking. And her and I meet eyes. And I was like, whatever. That was the last time I ever talked with her. Had an interaction with her at all. I was like, never mind, dude. I think that was so rude. (laughs) That was really rude of her to do. It was probably a little rude of me to do. But whatever, it's just like dryness under the bridge, you know? Honey under the bridge. Is that a saying? Because that should be a saying for what the opposite of water under the bridge means. Oh no, water under the bridge, free flowing. Honey under the bridge. If you have, you know, a wall of honey between you and somebody else, it's going to be hard to get through. Whatever. I did a play one time, and I want to talk about that experience if I have time. Hmm. Okay, I think I do. Uh, The Time of Your Life. That's the name of the play. This was in 2016. There's plenty of evidence of it on my Instagram from that year. I was documenting it and the year afterwards where I was reminding people of it. (coughs) This was a play that I had auditioned for. My film school had, had slowed way down. Classes were no longer every day. It was, you know, I could get a job now. I could go to a play now. I had a lot more free time, and that was really nice. I was now in the bachelor's program as opposed to the associates. I auditioned for a play amongst many auditions that summer. I didn't think too much of it. I also auditioned for a movie that summer. I, I, in hindsight, I should have done the movie because this caused a really awkward situation for me. I didn't really care for my performances in the play or the people that I met and was working with. I'll get to that. And I don't have any documentation of this play. We didn't film it or anything. So I wish I had done the movie because at least I would have something to show for it on film that I could show somebody. But the whole movie was going to be shot on an iPhone, and I was like, I'm not up for that. I think they said a feature on an iPhone, and I was like, you're so dumb. (laughs) No. So, I, I decided, I was, I auditioned for both. The movie told me, hey, we want you for this part. Can you be this very Chris Farley-like part? I said, yes, absolutely, they seem like cool guys, let's do it. I have my critiques, but whatever. The play gets back to me afterwards. Stop. And they just want to have me uh, talk to the director. Not an audition. Not a callback. Read. They just want me to meet with the director. So I do. I meet with him for coffee. The dude uh, was deep into his 70s when I when I first met him. I didn't expect that at all. His name was Don. Don worked with um, Lawrence Olivier. on. They acted together on stage a long time ago. And Don... I've talked about him on a previous podcast, but I'm going to tell that same story if you've heard it. Um, I sit down with Don for coffee. He asked me a couple questions. I gave an intellectual response, I thought, and this is is how he reacted to my answers. He sat like this. For minutes. 
minutes, dude. I, my smile started growing the longer that he sat there just in awe of my answer. Like he didn't know what to do. I've never had somebody be so befuddled by some of my answers to his theater questions of what acting is on the stage. And I was just sharing with him what I was learning then in film school, so it shouldn't have been so confusing, but... There's a reason that this guy was a director, not an actor. That's all I'm saying. What I was saying in, at the time was not that hard to understand. Any other actor would have understood it. So I got the play. I now have to make a choice because both conflicts... No. Both productions conflict. The movie and the play. The two productions conflict. The movie and the play. I have to tell one of them I can't do it. I chose to tell the movie I can't do it. But the reason I gave them was, oh, my schedule's full with school and blah, 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 blah. So one day I pull up to this random Catholic church and I see people pulling out movie equipment and loading it into the, uh, you know, unloading the van, loading it into the church. I didn't think anything of it. I thought, oh, interesting. There's a movie being shot here. Oh, wow, cool. In the middle of rehearsal for the play, we take an intermission, and I go to the water fountain, bend down, get water, pop back up, and one of the movie directors is standing right there. He goes, oh, Colin. I go, oh, oh, hey. He goes, are you here for the play? And I went, what? <laughs> and he goes, for the play, are you doing the play that they're doing here? He's like, I know these people. And I went, yeah, yeah, I'm here for the play. And he goes, oh, oh, good luck, man. I was like, thanks. I'm, uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I felt so bad. <laughs> How did I, I thought, obviously, I'm telling them no, I'm never going to see them again. They were shooting their movie at the same place that the church was doing the rehearsal of the play. Whoa. Those types of coincidences can't be coincidences, and it pisses me off. Because what does it mean? It means probably don't lie. <laughs> but man, that was awkward. Like, who would have thought? <laughs> Here's something weird. While I was doing the play... We're all backstage, a performance is going on, there's a lighting guy who stands up and says something abrupt, and it's like, kind of rude, but it's a joke, and it doesn't, it makes one person laugh, and it wasn't me. So he actually leaves the room, pause, okay? Pause that story right there. Six years earlier, I had done my first, not, first play that wasn't a church play. So I've done, like, church plays, community high school plays, and then community adult plays. Kind of up the ladder. In the community high school play, I got slapped by one of the castmates because I said something off-color. I made a joke about his girlfriend. In private, nobody else was around. I just had a friend that I put too much trust in. I made the joke to him, and he went and told a bunch of other people. That got around. The boyfriend walked up to me and smacked me for the comment that I made. Fast forward six years, that lighting guy stands up and makes a rude comment. He walks out of the room, and what comes out of my mouth is, man, makes me want to slap him. 
And one of the pre- people in charge goes, whoa, whoa, what? And I, I go, I'm just joke. I'm kidding. I'm totally joking. But I was surprised that that came out of my mouth because did I like subconsciously go back to the slab? Because when I said it, I, I met eyes with the person who reacted. And I, I think we were both kind of like taken aback that I said that. It's just weird how the mind works like that. I'm so fascinated by psychology in and of itself in in general, so... Period. (laughs) I had to do my own makeup during the uh, performances, and I did such a bad job. I looked pale, because I just would, like, put a bunch of makeup things that weren't supposed to go there. You know, whatever. And I just looked super pale. I had to wear a cravat, and it was super uncomfortable, and would like slip and fall, and then I would try and correct it. And the the head makeup artist, who had to like fit you and do all the costumes and all that stuff, she came up to me and started fixing my cravat, and just started crying, like at me. And she's like, "You need to respect my work." Because I put in this hard work. And she's like sobbing as she's she's sobbing and scolding me and fixing my cravat. I'm in the middle of a conversation and there's 15 other people in the green room with us. And you're doing this. Man, I wanted to go not the time or place, lady. Man, seriously. Some people need to know there is a time and place for conflict on a film set, on a, on a, on a play production, on anything like that. You always, we were taught this in film school, you pull the person into a private area office and you talk to them right there. You do not do it in front of other people. I was just appalled at this person's behavior. And I am allowed to be just as appalled at your behavior as you can be appalled at mine. Just because you're mad at me does not go one way. It can go both. And that's... (laughs) After the play, she shaved her head like this. So, issues... (laughs) The, the only time I've ever dyed my hair I was when I did this play. Okay? Don came up to me, and he was like, You know, it sounded just like him. He goes, You know, I think I want to dye your hair, because the lights would be too bright to make you look bald. If you didn't understand that, he said that the lights would be too bright on the stage and make me look bald, because it would be translucent. But that's how he talked. He had a very scratchy kind of voice. (laughs) I'm surprised I can do it so well. Rest in peace. I think he's alive. (laughs) But I don't care. (laughs) I think I was only happy with one performance. And it it was the performance that like 10 of my classmates came to see my play. And I felt bad because the whole production was like two and a half hours. And I'm in like 20 pages of it. I don't even think I was in the second act, or second half, whatever. But there were like 10 friends who came, maybe more. There might have been like 16. There were like three rows of all college faculty and, and, and students and friends who, who came to see me in, in this play. And I knew that they were there, and it propelled my performance, and that's the only one that I was happy with. I don't think that this was the performance that I messed up, but the only time that I messed up when I was on stage was um, I ended up repeating a line that I had already said. And I repeated the line and then just instinctively reached down and took a drink of my little drink and then put it down and then said my real line. And that's the only time that I ever messed up. But it was like that little pause gave me time to go, uh, reset, okay, take the... So it worked out. 
There is one friend who missed that whole play, all five performances, and he didn't. That was the only chance he would have gotten to see me perform in a live play. And as far as I know, he didn't go. Um, I don't think he went, but you know, I I was fantasizing the other day about him having gone and just like dipping out early. <laughs> like maybe he didn't, he didn't like it. But that would have been kind of understandable because he was known for doing plays in that in the city. So, um, he, I guess that his judgment would have been a little bit harsher because mine tends to be on comedians and filmmakers. 